Welcome to Nightlock, a Hunger Games podcast. And welcome to Nightlock Podcasts, where we cover anything and everything related to the Hunger Games franchise through news stories, book analysis, fan fictions, related music, product reviews, as well as other fun segments. Once again, today I am joined by my favorite Chris. He's joined us for a number of episodes, and I think a number of episodes in the future. So welcome back, Chris. Thanks. Thanks for having me back here. I'm so excited to talk more Hunger Games. We can never get enough of it, huh? We're, we we're can't. We're, we're still talking about it. <laughs> Well, today's episode, we are spending the entire episode on just a multi, uh, multiple chapter analysis of Mockingjay. Just kidding. We're talking about the Mockingjay <laughs> film that just debuted uh, less than a week ago. It was Thursday night. Um, and we were both able to go to the um, premiere Thursday night. That's correct. You were there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that was awesome to be able to actually be there. And at a reasonable hour. We're getting older. We need to go back to bed. So it yeah, was good to be able was, to be there to it was, Yeah, it was a nice like 8.30 uh, showing. And it was kind of like spur of the moment. I was like, oh my gosh, I actually finished all of my work that I needed to do today. I don't have anything to do. And my friends were like, you want to go see The Hunger Games? I'm like, yes, let's do it. So we just kind of like went. And it was awesome. So I'm really glad I did. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to go to my school actually sponsored a thing where you could buy a three dollar ticket and it what? included the bus ride there and back and if you dressed up you got a free small popcorn so oh. i pulled together my best katniss outfits threw on a mockingjay pin and got free popcorn from me and my friend so it was yeah. it was a great setup that sounds awesome yeah definitely less expensive than uh, when i came home and saw it with uh my uh family friends here but uh yeah definitely awesome um we're also talking about the Mockingjay soundtrack today, and we'll be mentioning um, the score, including the vocals of the beautiful, amazing Jennifer Lawrence. Amen. So, yeah, awesome to be able to actually hear her vocals in that, even though she wasn't too psyched about it. And I believe in the uh, interview with David Letterman, she said that she has not even listened to it. Oh, wow. I, I don't remember that. That's so funny. I, I totally believe that, though. Yeah, she was like, ah, oh, people say it's great. And he's like, what do you mean to say? Like, didn't you listen to it? She's like, nah, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> She's so awesome. Yeah. So why don't we start with the film and talk about everything with that? Now, I have to uh, reveal a little dork moment for me. During the second time of watching it, um, I came home and went with uh, my best friend and my brother. And I sat there in the theater and I'd already seen it, so I've already experienced it. So... I took out a uh, notebook and pad, all, you know, uh, old school style with a pen and actually wrote down in the dark notes. And then I got back here and deciphered them and wrote them up for you guys so that we could actually have some sort of an outline today. But it's loose. So uh, that's kind of where all this is coming from. I, I'm not, you know, uh, super smart with, like, being able to get all these quotes. Uh, that's how I, I wrote them down, so... Uh, so to start out, the movie actually starts with direct quotes from the book that is talking about Katniss um, 
remembering who she is. So by repeating to herself, my name is Katniss Everdeen. I am 17 years old. My home is District 12. I was in the Hurryames. I escaped. Capital hates me. Peta taken this prisoner. Thought he was dead. He's probably dead. And she kind of goes on a rant there. But it's interesting how the film actually opens with these lines that is in the second page of the book, which kind of just right away it starts out, you know it's going to be a faithful adaptation, and we can trust Francis Lawrence because he directed Catching Fire and he did an awesome job at that. Yeah, um, but can but like can we like rewind for a second? She's 17 years old. Like, holy moly. Like, I understand. Like, when we see the film, like, I can picture Katniss – like, as being, you know, well, I don't know. I just see her as a little older, but it's kind of crazy when you, like, read that quote and, like, you hear her say that she's only 17. Like, I'm only 19 years old, and I definitely could not go through what Katniss is going through right now. Like, all the trauma and all of the destruction and loss and, like, 17 years old. Like, holy moly, to go through such, like, insane, like, craziness at such a young age. Like, uh, it's, I still am, it's hard to wrap my brain around sometimes. It really is. I'm I'm 19 as well, and like I can't imagine going through all of this, especially at the tender age of 17. That's very a uh, uh, a hard time in teenagers' lives, and just to have all of this destruction in there and everything she's dealing with, and the PTSD that we see throughout the movie is yeah it, very accurate from what I can tell. And that you know Jennifer Lawrence is really capturing that and showing. She does that great thing where she doesn't express emotion like Katniss, but you can kind of tell the inner like turmoil going on with her, and that's just kind of props to her acting ability. Yeah, I think a lot of it you can see in her eyes. Like she like her face is pretty blank, but like you can see in her eyes it's all like boiling, and you're just like, oh my god, yes, definitely, she definitely it. acts yeah. through her eyes the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So at first we see um. The first time we see Finnick is when he's tying knots and he's, like, crying about Annie and obviously losing other people, but mostly Annie. And I think it's interesting that they're including all of these details more for the hardcore fans of, you know, he's rapidly, like, tying these knots. And this is how he kind of keeps his hands busy because he can't really keep his mind busy, but at least he can keep his hands busy. And he says this really disturbing quote, I wish they were dead. I wish we were too. And that he wishes the Capitol didn't have his loved ones and that it it would be better if everyone was dead. That they would be, you know, not living this horrible life that they are. Is that – does he say that in the beginning or does he say that when they're in the bunker or am I just mixing them those things up? He says the I wish they were dead, I wish we were dead too. He says something between those two phrases. I couldn't catch it. But um, this is when Katniss comes in right at the beginning when we're first – Seeing all of the tributes that were, like, brought back to 13, right? Uh, what do you mean? Well, like, isn't there a shot where, like, you see, you, like, see Katniss, but then you also see, like, Finnick, and then isn't it where Plutarch is just kind of, like, telling them, like, that they're safe or something? Or am I just, like, making that up? (laughs) Yeah, well, she, like, talks to Finnick, and then I believe it's Boggs that comes in and then is like, oh... Someone needs to talk to you, Katniss, and then she oh, right, sits right, down right. with them and everything. So, yeah, I think it's basically – yeah, because when she goes in to see Plutard and then Coin, BT is there. Yes. And he's in a wheelchair, which I don't remember why he's in a wheelchair. Is it because he was electrocuted? Maybe. I couldn't tell you. That would make sense. Um, but 
as as uh, we've noted, like there's no explanation to this wheelchair. Like he's just in one. Like we don't have. There's no. You know, um, Katniss has like a weird look on her face, but like there's no explanation of why he's in a wheelchair. So. Yeah, when Katniss gave us that look, like the audience meaning like, I don't know what's going on either, I really thought that they were going to explain it in a couple lines, and then you go through the whole movie and it's like, what happened? Like, if we don't remember, how are the general audience going to know what's going on? Yeah, so I I couldn't tell you. I I read the book so long ago. Um, But yeah, so that was interesting. And then... um, what, what is this next note about Plutarch Heavensby being hologrammed in? Well, as we know, Philip Seymour Hoffman um, died right during the filming of Mockingjay. And they filmed the movies together. I don't know if this was back-to-back or scenes were intertwined. Um, I would think it'd of... be back-to-back. You think back-to-back? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what they did with Lord of the Rings and certain film, like, and films like that. Because if they did, like films if they did like scenes from the different films i think that'd be so psycho like being an actor myself like i don't know i think that'd be kind of nuts to do um but i you never know i mean i've never done two films back to back or together maybe i'll be lucky enough to have that luxury one day but um (laughs) not right now but uh i think that they would just do scenes from one film and then rap and then scenes from the other film and then rap um Mm -hmm. but he died um near the end of the second film being made, I I think. Yeah, that sounds right. And in February, I believed they released Lionsgate or you know Francis Lawrence, whoever said that they were going to kind of like hologram him in, like they were going to use CGI to make him for a very important scene that he was going to not be in because he wasn't around anymore. Um, but then later, I think it was like July. They decide just cut the scene, not cut the scene, but like just cut his role from the scene. Mm. So, going with this idea that this is in Mahjong Part Two, we would not have seen this scene yet. So you're thinking like this scene wasn't in Mockingjay Part One? Yeah, I probably think it was in Part Two, and then they probably I think I read something that they like distributed the lines to like Coin or like other characters of power, so that they yeah. were able to tell the story without having to have. Plutarch Heavensby say those lines. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like they could have gotten, um, you know how there's actors that can like really replicate voices really well. Yeah. I feel like they could have had that. And then the camera's just not on him when he says it. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a good idea. I mean, but how much can you do? Because then you're like, who's speaking? Like, the audience would get, I think would be confused. I mean, you could have like a shot of like his back, like over his shoulder or something Mm -hmm. like of like a stand in. Um, but I think that'd be kind of (laughs) weird. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, weird that we see him in this and then we're going to see him in the next movie and, he doesn't get to, like, finish out the role. I mean, I don't think we're going to notice too much because there's just one scene, it sounds like, that was kind of important for him to be in, but they're working with it, and he's not a huge character. He's not, like, a main character. Um, he's an important character, definitely, but... But he's uh, no PETA or Hamish or... Exactly. You know. So yeah. I, it's it's really sad and really awful, 
but I think that the creative team was able to work around it. And I'm glad that they didn't recast him or something for part two or yeah. something, because that would have just been, I think like really, really bad on their part to do just to, it was, it was really nice at the end of the film of this film that they honored the film to him because he's such a phenomenal actor. Um, I think it would have just, it wouldn't have uh, given him justice if they casted another guy to play his part, you know? Yeah, it definitely would not have been respectful. And it was very nice of them to dedicate the film to Philip Seymour Hoffman. And um, I know the cast was very, casting crew was very upset uh, about his passing. And they um, believe they did something on set just to kind of honor him. But um, he, he does an amazing job in this role. And he does, his character is very impactful. Even though he may not have a lot of lines, be in a ton of scenes, he still is very impactful. And he says this one quote when talking to Coyne. He says, we have a lightning rod. And I love how he references the 75th games of how the lightning rod of that tree that they used to then um, hit the force field and so that District 13 could rescue tributes or as much as they could. And it's just so cool how he's using this reference that the lightning rod was the catalyst for the next phase of the revolution. And, and now he's saying, look, this is our next lightning rod, referring to Katniss as the Mockingjay. Yeah, I think it's keeping it all canon and it's connecting a lot of the um, films together and keeping continuity. And I really appreciate that on the screenwriter's um, point or um, point of view, because it's, it's really nice to be able to have all of these films. You know, it's great to appreciate them as, you know, individual films, but it is part of a series and part of an epic story. So it's really nice to see certain references from previous parts of the story. Um, and like speaking of previous parts of the story, like the soundtrack and like the score was very eerie. And a lot of the like underscoring was, I recognized completely from the first film because I bought the first film soundtrack and I would listen to it a lot. Um, I was recognizing a lot of um, underscoring from the first film, which I really appreciated because again, it's keeping continuity and it's keeping, you know, um, pulling it all together because it may be the third film, but they're still having a lot of the same, you know, um, underscore and sound as, you know, like some, I heard a little bit of Ruse lullaby during parts and I heard, um, stuff when they were in the capital, you know, capital songs from the first film. So I really appreciate that. Definitely. I think one of the things I was concerned with, um, with James Newton Howard is that his music doesn't seem to have, uh, like iconic themes where like you hear like the Jaws theme, you're like, oh, this is Jaws, you know, and like, or Indiana Jones, you don't even have to see anything. You just have or to Jurassic the... Park. Yeah, exactly. And I think John Williams scored all of those that we just mentioned. So obviously I was hoping for him, but yeah. <laughs> he's a pretty big name, if not the biggest, but he really does an amazing job in capturing like just the essence of the Hunger Games and being able to express that in the music and, as you said, like, kind of use the same um, – <laughs> I'm not a music person – but, like, use kind of the same melodies and then mix them up a little bit, but enough so you still, like, recognize it, as you said. Yeah, so there and, are, like, little motifs throughout the film um, in the music that are just, like – you know, if you, when you're listening to it, you're like, oh my God, yes. Like, oh, that's so cool. Like that. It's just kind of, because underscoring shouldn't be pretty, in, like, you know, unless it's a theme, 
the underscoring shouldn't be what you're paying attention to. It should just be like, you know, a vehicle that the, that should help the film move in. But it was really great that there were times when I did pay more attention to it when, you know, it wasn't demanding for me to, but I was just kind of like, Oh, let, you know, I'm just listening to this. And it was awesome to be able to hear the, um, the same kind of motifs that were in the other films. I really appreciated it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it also helps having the same composer, right? Because James Newton Howard did all three of them so far? I believe so, yeah. I think so, yeah. Uh, I think someone else was first um, given the role, but now I think from the first movie it like, switched to him, and then since then uh, it's been... Yeah, James he's Newton all three. Howard. I looked on Spotify. Okay, cool. Glad we can like confirm that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it definitely helps because Gary Ross directed the first film, and I think it is different from Catching Fire and Mockingjay. It kind of has a different feel to it, yes. as it should. But at the same time, it kind of, um, it, it, I think it's the odd one out when we look at Catching Fire and Mockingjay Part 1. Yes. Um, but I definitely think that um, if we're going to talk about directing, I think that the um, the shaky cam was brought back um, in part of Mockingjay, um, when they're running in district eight, um, from those, um, fighter, uh, hovercrafts or whatever, and they're running and Gail and Katniss are running up the stairs. Um, it does start to shake a little bit and I don't know. I just, a lot of people I know didn't like it. I don't, I don't know if I liked it, um, in the first film originally, but I do, I kind of appreciate it because it's like an eye. It's like showing Katniss's world, like how, like, oh my gosh, how off balance everything is. And, just in those moments, I don't know if it was supposed to mean that much or if it was just supposed to show that like they were struggling and running and stuff. But, um, it was really cool to see that come back again. And I'm glad it was only used sparingly because in the first film, I feel like it was used a little bit too much. Um, but in this film, it was nice to see kind of a distressed camera shot, um, just to kind of show that like this world is not perfect and Katniss is struggling. So I really appreciated that where in catching fire, it was very cinematic, which I loved. Um, and as, as with this film as well, but there was that point where it was just like really cool to have it be all shaky. (laughs) Definitely. I think the first film had a little too much, but I think this was the perfect balance. Like you, you had a little bit here and there just so you could feel that you're really there. You're in battle but it wasn't overwhelming and hopefully it didn't make people sick like it did the first one. <laughs> um, yeah, that was definitely interesting. And um, uh, there's something else I was going to say with that. And now I can't remember. Dang. Uh, we'll just go into the next thing then. Um, what did you think about the costumes for this film? I thought they were cool. Um, it was, I, I know it was a little disappointing not being able to see all of Effie's outfits, um, yeah. that, and her hair and her, you know, cause I always loved seeing all of the, the, what the costume crew and team created for her. I always thought that was really cool and really, um, creative, but it was, uh, it was, it was nice though, in a way to see just how plain everything was, but still, you know, um, individual I guess you could say because Effie kind of made stuff her own and kind of Katniss kind of had like her outfit but it was kind of like different from the rest of them I felt or the way she like had had it on or something Mm -hmm. so I just kind of uh thought that that was cool but then the white with um Peta I thought was really cool to have him in all white just to sort of show how he's pure but in reality he's not pure because he's being manipulated by the capital and by district by district capital. 
um, <laughs> oops, um, but uh, by presence now and all that stuff. So that was, I appreciated that. Yeah, it's weird that Effie is dressed down compared to PETA. I feel like PETA had the most interesting costumes, most unique, because everyone else was pretty much in District 13, like, um, whatever they were called, um, uniforms, which were very, like, bland, and they got the point across. I feel like they could have been a little more flattering. Um, <laughs> I get that they're, you know, supposed to be uniforms, and District 13 is not about looks. Uh, but, yeah, I feel like they could have been a little better. Um, but yeah, it's kind of underwhelming, the the costumes for this film. And that's how it's supposed to be. But it still is a little disappointing, as you said. Something that we didn't see was their, like, watches or their schedules, like, tattooed oh, yeah. on their on their arms. Um, I was reading an, um, an article on HypeBull.com. Plug. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll support that. Yeah, I love it. Um, and... Uh, I I was reminded of when I read the when I read the book um, that hypable um, hype, no, Chris um, when in District Thirteen had really strict scheduling for all of their meals and all of their activities and all of their stuff and Katniss and Gail had to like beg to like be able to go outside and like hunt where like obviously like they just like went outside to hunt like that day um so i was i had forgotten how strict district 13 was um until i read the article i was like oh my gosh you're right so i think that element was missed but it wasn't missed like i didn't i wasn't like what like what's going like i think that would have been cool but i think that also could have been a little bit more complicated to have explained in the film and i think it was best uh, how they did it instead of having everything be, you know, cause that also limits like what they can show and like what they can kind of, how much time they have to, sh- you know, explain something. And, you know, I think that they did it swell the way they did. Yeah. I think that they showed kind of that aspect of having to always be working and sticking to that schedule. Whenever coin would pull together the district to hold one of her like speeches, she was like, oh, thank you so much for, like, taking time out of your day and everything. So I feel like they got that point across without having to invest in all that time and explaining what the schedule was on their thing and what they were doing. And I think we would have gotten caught up in the monotony of, like, what they were trying to get done and sticking to that schedule. Um, I feel like they accomplished the same thing with how they did it. So I think that kind of would have been a headache. And I'm, I'm kind of glad they cut that, which usually I don't say to things. But I think in this case, it was good. That's good. Yeah, I agree. Um, But what really, like, got me was when Caddis went to District 12 um, and she just sees, like, the, like, wreck that her district has been made into. Like, oh, my God. And um, I think this is probably the second most powerful scene. I would say. And maybe even in the series. Yeah. because yeah. I don't know, I rate, I rank this like right under Rue. Um, and like, oh my gosh, it, it was just really like awful to see her just fall to her knees and just to see how her, like the hob and everything is just gone. But one point that my friend did make was that he was like, come on, it can't still be smoking if they like bombed it. Like, like weeks ago or something like yeah. it has to stop but i was like Shh, it's a movie <laughs> let it I smoke like it's cool it's possible though because you no th- one's going to attend it no one's like oh we should make sure we put out that fire like 
I feel like things could actually still be going. That's I don't true. know about months later, but maybe a month later. Because um, I feel like if you see pictures of, like, destruction, you do see kind of, like, smoke and some still kind of, like, obviously charred pieces and stuff like that. But, um, I don't know. Listeners, email in if you know stuff like that. <laughs> um, it was interesting how they kept a lot of aspects from the book in, in this scene where they still had Victor's village unharmed, standing kind of the way it is and kind of showing that it's like, oh, the Victor's are fine. They're celebrities, whatever. But it's it's you little people that are getting destroyed and everything. And it's 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 almost like you could draw a line between where the destruction was and where it ended. Yeah, which is so disgusting. Like, it's it literally like that's the line of your um, societal, you know, detrimental destruction, blah, blah, um, where it's just kind of like really sad how because they're victors, as you said, celebrities, they're like untouchable in that way. But like, obviously we know that they aren't because of the last games, but it's so sad. And then we see Buttercup who like comes in through like the window or whatever. And then um, Katniss sees the rose on uh, the desk in the office of her house. Um, and then uh, she like smells and she's horrified. And I like gasped when I saw that in the film. I was like, oh my gosh. And how they're all dead. And then there's just one that's alive. Yeah, it's like, like, so it's like, obviously he was there and then he came back to put the next one in. Um, now one question I had is, I should probably know this, but the, the rose Obviously, it's from Snow's Garden, but are they genetically modified at all? Like, is because there's that sparkly aspect. I don't know if that's just kind of thematic. They're just adding that in, or if it actually means something. I don't know because he, as we saw, and I think the last film, I want to say the last film, or it could have been the first film. Um, they almost together sometimes. Uh, he had that huge rose garden and I don't know if like he has genetically modified them so they grow faster because he's always trying to like hide his, you know, smell, which we, um, which he's totally outed for on, by Finnick, um, on that, um, on his little telecast, which we'll get to. Um, but I don't, I don't really know it would, it, I, it's definitely believable that they're gen- genetically modified, um, but I don't know if they are. I don't think there's ever mention of it. Okay, yeah. Because I remember he has those huge gardens um, that they talk about in Mockingjay, uh, like kind of in his house or whatever, like right indoor garden or something like that. Um, but yeah, we did see like the outdoor garden portion in, I think I think it was Hunger Games. Like, um, when yeah, they were talking I think it was about, too. He was talking about Seneca. That Yep, um, Seneca Crane he was talking to saying like hope is more powerful, like – Something like there's one blunt line that was like, oh, you have to stop it or like, um, contain, contain it. it <laughs> you was. have to stop it. It's yeah, Seneca. you just have to stop. Like, you know, <laughs> or or you're gonna have to eat nylock berries, basically. Um, and Snow has a good line. He has a lot of good lines. I want to say he probably has the best lines in the movie, um, the most like powerful. And he's talking to his assistant. And, um, his other assistant, whatever, was, like, shaving his face, and then he kind of nicks him, and he's, like, whatever, sees that he's bleeding, and then, like, a few minutes later, he's, like, never let them see you bleed, 
um, when they're deciding what they should call the rebels because they're like, oh, should we call them criminals or like, you know, what exactly they should call them. Um, but I thought that was a good line. And then he goes into the broadcast to Pen M saying that um, the capital is like, or the districts are like blood to a heart and the capital is the beating heart of Pen M and that nothing can survive without it. And just going on about how important the capital is and all of that garbage. And um, what was can, really interesting. Can I make a, yeah, yeah, um, go ahead. a really weird comment? Um, were you weirded out when Coin said Panem or was it just me? Because I feel like she said it really weird that like stuck in my mind. She was like Panem or something like some weird pronunciation. And I was like, what country are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) During one of her speeches or just like, Um, I think she was like, she was sitting down and I think it was in that room where they were like brainstorming or something. And she was just talking to Katniss about like Panem or Panem or some weird (laughs) pronunciation. I was like, coin, are you kidding me? Like, you live in this country. Like, learn how to pronounce it. <laughs> is it... How do they pronounce it in the film? Is it Panem or Panem? Oh, God, I couldn't tell you. But I just know that she pronounced it way off. Really she needed weird. to have, you know, talked to the other actors about how to pronounce it. Because I don't know how Francis Lawrence let that go. I was like, what? I don't get how directors, like, kind of don't pick up, like, if actors go in and out of accents or things like that. I'm just like... What? How how can you not get that? Like you're watching it in post or whatever, or even after you film it, and you're like, yeah, no, that sounds fine. Like what? Well, I sometimes think that it's like, well, we're just gonna have to pretend like that's not there because we can't spend all this money to go reshoot this again because that location's gone, or you know. So sometimes I think they're like, well, we're just gonna pretend like that's not happening because hopefully no one notices. But of course, we're like nitpicking the whole entire like series like, as a whole so she pronounces the p in this scene <laughs> yeah i think she it was too harsh and no yeah i don't know i'm so annoying with that stuff though so. <laughs> yes but that is what we're for that's our job here true true um but i loved how um going off of snow addressing panem or panam or however i think you want to say <laughs> it um bramble snow his granddaughter was unbraiding her hair during his speech when he said anything related to the Mockingjay would be forbidden. So I thought that was so cool because we're continuing that. And this is a, like a film um, continuity thing. Like that, like um, Bramble Snow like adores Katniss and like thinks she's like so cool. And it's like, I don't know if she adores her, but she thinks she's really cool. And I definitely think that like in their school system and the Capitol and everything, it's a, it's like a cool hip thing, but she's like unbraiding her hair. So she's trying to like not be like Katniss anymore once grandpa's like anything related to her is forbidden so i thought that was cool i thought that was great it it was cool that they actually brought in the same actor too i i recognized her yeah so and i think they did the same thing for annie too that even though she was in like i don't know 15 seconds of catching fire that they still brought the same actor back uh it it's just cool how they really do keep all these things continuous yeah it's i really appreciate that how do you think Jennifer's acting was when she first saw Pete on the screen when they're eating dinner or her not really eating dinner because of her PTSD? I, I loved it. I thought, oh my God, I just love it. She's so, it's it's so great because uh, in, in acting classes that I've, I've taken and I'm taking, it's always like less is more. Um, and mm-hmm. you just like see her just sort of like drop everything that she has going on and she's just watching and she literally is genuinely watching and is genuinely invested in 
seeing PETA and wondering where he is. So she like gets up and like goes to the screen and there's nothing overdone about it. It's so beautiful. And it's interesting. And I kind of hate Gail for this, but he's saying that like, um, they probably just forced PETA for at first. He's like totally saying, I would never say anything like that. Uh, but then they're like, Oh, he, he forced PETA probably. Um, do you think that Gail actually believes that they've forced him at this point? Or do you think he's just saying this to calm her get at her, calm her down? I think he's just saying it to calm her down. I don't I don't I don't really think he believes it because later when uh PETA is saying all this stuff, he's like trashing him. He's like, Wow, like I can't believe you would say that, blah blah blah. Where like I I think that he's just saying it at that moment. I don't think he really believes it yet because he is like he trashes PETA later on saying like, I would never say that if they, even if they were holding a gun to my head, like I would never say that. Ugh, that's I feel right, so annoying yeah. in that part. But like, you know, I, I, I don't think that he actually believes that at this point. Like he, he kind of hates PETA. I feel like. <laughs> I feel that too. Yeah. A little bit. Right. Yeah. But, um, he'll do anything for him because he knows Katniss loves PETA. Yeah. It's kind of this, really pitiful situation but eh, it's gail so i, I can't feel too bad <laughs> yeah it's whatever it's gail <laughs> one of the coolest scenes i thought was the one where she's having a dream that she wakes up in a nightmare and Peter comes in because i watched catching fire like a couple nights before i went to see mockingjay because i didn't have time to like reread books but i was like i have time to watch another movie so I watched it, and this is, like, the same exact scene from Catching Fire. She's in District 13 bunker instead of, I guess, the tr- uh, training center. But all of the dialogue was the same. And how he comes, like, Peter comes in the room and, like, sits next to her on the bed. And, like, they snuggle up. And he even, like, says, you know, I'll always be here or something like that. Um, I just thought it was so eerie but, like, cool how they did kind of a, like, a throwback to it. Yeah, Did you that is really cool. This? I do, I do. And at first, I was like, "Wait, what's going on?" And like my friend who hadn't read the read the books or hadn't seen um, Catching Fire in a while, she was like, "What's going on?" Like, I was like, "I think it's a flashback or something," or I think it's like like a parallel flashback or whatever. And she was like, "Yeah." Oh. And then, um, and then we realized that she's like dreaming, and I was like, "Oh, okay, now I get it." So that was cute. Um, especially what was cute like when prim was like tell me what's happening i'm good at keeping secrets you know even from mom and stuff so i think that was really great to see some like um development between katniss and prim's relationship definitely and i think we even though we don't get to spend a lot of time with prim in this film we still see how much she's matured that she's they're training her to be a doctor which we found in the bunker um yeah that's she's actually able to kind of do all these things even in catching fire when like Katniss is freaking out and Prim has it all together when Gail comes back from the whipping and it it really shows how she's just so mature for her age compared to what she was in Hunger Games when she couldn't even tuck in her own shirt properly yeah um but it's really it's really cool that she's able to provide Katniss with like insight because Prim hasn't gone through as much traumatic experiences. Obviously, compared to an average child, she definitely has. Oh, yeah. But compared to Katniss, it, it's it's just, you know, tip of the iceberg. So it's cool that she's able to give her advice like, um, you know, you're so critical. If you want something, you just have to ask. And it's the simplicity behind this, too, that is still childlike. That it's like to her, it's like everything's more black and white. 
compared to Katniss where everything is gray. Yeah. And uh, Katniss then addresses Coin and is like, I'll be your Mockingjay if you give the tributes immunity. And then they're talking, hashing it out. And then she's like, and my sister gets to keep her cat. <laughs> Which is oh my god, that was so funny. A rare moment of comic relief from, from Katniss Everdeen. Yeah, I loved that part. And I think the first time we get to see Katniss as a passionate person, like how she is before all the PTSD is when she is yelling at coin when she's saying, no, like we don't, we don't do these conditions. Like you're either doing it or you're not. And then after she's kind of Katniss is yelling at her and going through her rant, then um, Plutarch is like, and there you go. And he's like picturing the, the fire behind her and her holding a flag. And uh, I think that's kind of that moment of like, that little flame goes off and it's finally like, there she is. Yeah. That's, I think he said to coin or either it was coin. It was like, there she is or something like that's who I was yeah. talking about. Yeah, definitely. It was kind of just that, like, he doesn't even hear what she's really saying, but just like her, her passion, her kind of like acting ability there. Um, which later we see it's lack thereof when she's. Oh my God. To, it was like, so funny seeing her trying to act. And then, and then Hamish goes in and is, like, clapping, and he's like, that's how a revolution dies. Uh, and he's finally sober, which is an improvement, but he's still struggling. Um, and one quick scene to talk about um, is that uh, when Effie and Katniss are reunited, and they're talking about Cinna, um, and how he, uh, Effie is showing... Um, Effie is showing her all of the drawings of things that he's created for her and that he didn't want her to see until she decided to be the Mockingjay. So it's just kind of showing that everyone really believes in her and they're kind of just waiting for her to kind of catch up with everyone else. Yeah, it's really nice to see the connection of Cinna and see how, like, the relief comes over her when she sees stuff that was done by Cinna and... You know how again people believe in her to be able to do this. It's really, it's really nice to see Katniss's physicality even just change just because of that one fact. Definitely, and talking about moments when um, Katniss inspired other people, Hamish kind of brings up this topic when they're talking about how horrible Katniss was at acting, and then he's like, "All right, give me times where Katniss herself has really inspired you." And then Effie goes on about volunteering for her sister and singing for Rue. And then Gail gets to the bottom of it, saying that it's really when no one tells her what to do. Katniss just does what she's feeling in the moment. Um, and then you want to share the uh, funny scene dialogue between Hamish and Effie? Uh... <laughs> Where they're talking about the... Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The makeup. Um, and... Hamish likes Effie better without makeup. And she likes him better sober. Uh, and you made a note, was there ever a hinting romance between these two in the books? Um, I don't, I hope not. I don't know. Like, having I them be romantically weird. involved weirds me out a little bit. Yeah, they're, they're so different. And they're, like, from different worlds. But it, it's funny to see these two interact. And I wonder if they're kind of, like, going to do anything with it further. Or if it's just going to be surface-level play flirting. Uh, but it was interesting just to hear it. 
Um, and then I think it was um, really funny how Katniss was uh, with her camera crew and everything. If they're like, if you die in battle, and she was like, better get it on camera. That was a good line. That that was yeah. great because it was really shows how sassy and just sarcastic and very depressing Katniss is, and that she really doesn't care anymore. She just is kind of just trying to survive and. And even even that, she's not even... She kind of just wants things to get better and... I think she does care. Thoughts. I think that's her defense mechanism of just acting as if, like, she's like, well, we're all going to die anyway. Or, if, like, you know, better get it on camera just to try... Just to say something like that. That's very Katniss in the books. And I'm really um, thankful that they have... that. Kind of, they've brought that kind of Katniss onto the screen because... We haven't. I feel like we haven't seen a lot of that Katniss, where we always were able to see how Katniss was thinking. Um, but now she's just kind of like, "Well, better get it on camera," where she's like acting as if she's putting up that front that she doesn't care, but she can. She she does, you know. Yeah, I guess when it comes down to it, she is caring. It's just she's having a hard time with kind of filtering all these emotions and feeling them versus not feeling them and trying to push them away. Uh, an interesting moment we're talking about the camera crew is when Cressida, am I saying her name right? Cressida? I think so. I think that's how you say it. Okay. Um, when she says um, that they all fleed on their own from the Capitol, um, and then she says, for this, meaning the revolution, and then for you. And this kind of reminds me of the line that Joanna said in the 75th games, the quarter quell, when she was like, I got them for you. And it just Katniss throughout the series is, like, reminded that, like, people are doing things for her, but then for the greater cause. But she's kind of that, like, middleman, and people are doing things for her in order for the revolution to be better. And it kind of just shows how much power and responsibility she has right now. Yeah, she never she does, she never really realizes it. People always have to, like, spell it out for her. They're like, I brought them for you. Like, we did this for you. You know, yeah, so she doesn't really other, get other than common sense stuff. Yeah, I think she's just overwhelmed by the overall thing, overall picture that she doesn't kind of realize that a lot of people are doing it, not just for the greater good, but for her. Definitely, and I think a, really, a scene where she was really overwhelmed was at the the Capitol, or not Capitol, the hospital. The Capitol comes in later. But um, when she looks at these people and she turns to Cressida, which I was surprised at, that all of a sudden she's close enough to her where she can say this and reveal this. I feel like two books ago, she would not have said this, but she looks at her and says, I can't help these people. And then Cressida says like, just let them see your face. Like seeing your face is good enough to be remind them that it's hopeful. We're fighting. We're here. Um, and this was just such a powerful scene, especially with, um, the three singer, <laughs> three finger salute. Um, three singers, and <laughs> three singer. Um, yeah, and her interactions with the little girl and little boy and, um, the middle-aged woman. So it, it really was powerful. And I think this was one of the top powerful scenes, definitely not the most, but, uh, it was definitely up there. Yeah. Um, and shout out because the, what was the name of the leader of that district? Ooh, that's a good idea. This was district eight. Yeah. So Um, district eight's leader. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman who met them off the hovercraft, 
Um, that actress is actually, her name is Patina Miller and she's a Tony award winning Broadway performer. Really? And, uh, I know her and I'm like, I don't know her personally. Uh, I wish, I um, say, but wow, I know get her on the show. Yeah. Right. Um, I know of her and, uh, she's such a phenomenal performer and it's so great to be able to see Broadway actors, um, in the hunger games, you know, I thought that was really cool. Um, I wonder to if be able her to see a Tony award tree song. Hmm? I wonder if her vocals were in the Hanging Tree song because there's a lot of like voices in the background of like the crowd. I wonder if they uh, kind of snuck her in and was like, yeah, come in the recording studio or whatever. You have a Tony Award. You sing for us. <laughs> yeah. Why don't, why don't you, you know, just jump in here and give us, give us a little something. <laughs> uh, I think that one thing that is just kind of a general statement is the importance of media throughout this film that they're always doing these propos and it's on TV. And I think Susan Collins really gets the point across is how much of an impact it can have in our society today and that everybody gets their information through the media. It really is. People aren't uh, kind of picking up like books anymore. They're really focused on TV, radio, podcasts, maybe even. Um, so I think it's cool just to see the impact that it has in the film and, and how much of a ripple effect it has. Yeah. It kind of makes you reflect on our society and how the news and media and the internet can infect, infect such an idea, um, you know, dealing with certain things now, like the Ferguson trial and all that stuff or lack of, and like yeah. just kind of how people just go off on the internet and how certain ideas can just be spread so quickly without even having any validity of the statement. It just can spread. So I think that's really cool that they're showing that in such a dystopian society when in our society, it works the same way. Definitely. And I think social media is probably the best example of that. And a hashtag could just take off, like the Ice Bucket oh. Challenge, for instance. Like, that just started with one one mom kind of started this, and it everybody knows the Ice Bucket Challenge. You know, most people did it over the summer. And it really shows how fast things can happen. And this is definitely taking it a step up. And yeah, because, the- like, R.I.P. Bill Nye. Like, Bill Nye has not died, guys, but, like, apparently <laughs> on Twitter, he's died, like, eight times. I was I know. I, I've definitely Googled, is he dead, multiple times. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm relieved every time. But, yeah, it's, it, it's crazy how, you know, the internet and social media and just media in general really works. Uh, and I believe this is the first propo that they film in District 8. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think it, I think that is the first one other than their failed attempts right at her in the <laughs> studio yeah we know not to do that again um <laughs> yeah she has some good lines in there that she's saying i want the rebels to know and she's so passionate when she says this and like she's so full of hatred and anger towards the capital and what they did and they're she's explaining everything that happened and then she says we might must fight back she says it better than i do but um, she says, you can torture us, burn our districts to the ground. But do you see that? And she's pointing at the fire and, like, the capital um, planes that she's – I think she's standing in front of. Um, she says, fire is catching, and if we burn, you burn with us, which is such a powerful quote. I want to say that's probably 
the most inspiring in the movie for what's Oh, happening. my God. Yeah, I loved it. And the way she delivered it was just so full of energy and just trying to channel that energy to the rebellion. And it, yeah, was, it, was, it, was, it was definitely amazing. Yeah, I loved it. It was so cool. That was my Instagram uh, caption. Oh, nice. We were nice. And just when her voice cracks saying it, uh, I'm just a big fan of hers. Sometimes I fangirl too much. But, um, yeah, and, and after this propo plays, um, Coin says to Katniss, uh, Plutarch's faith was not misplaced in you. And I thought that was, it's like finally we get recognition from Coin that she really is a leader. And yeah. she's not a traditional leader in any sense. She doesn't have, uh, normal skills to be a leader but when the time comes she really can pull herself together yeah because i think it kind of shows how she was forced to be a leader she did not choose to be a leader it the, the berries was not her saying i want to lead a rebellion it was just like okay well if we're both if like we both should die like shouldn't let them win again so it wasn't a choice to be a leader and i think it really shows when she gets recognition from coin being like you didn't choose this but you can do this yeah and i think that's reflective of a lot of leaders that they don't necessarily want to be leaders but they're put in that position and they make the best of it and katniss definitely shows that and there are times when she does not want to be in the limelight but unfortunately that's her position and she can't give up at this point because then the revolution actually will die. So, uh, one quick note is when this happened, I was sitting next to my friend and we just started laughing when I think it's after coin. Yeah, definitely. When, after corn makes a speech to district 13 and then they start going, hoorah, hoorah, hoorah. And I don't know if it's just us, but it just sounded so corny. Yeah, I didn't like that part. Like, it sounded like our college chant. So then everyone, like, people in the theater at least, started going, like, saying our school name and, like, chanting it. And I was like, oh, God, this is so corny and bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I so think there could have been some more creative. Was there any chanting or anything of the sort in the book? Do you remember? I don't really remember. I, I kind of feel like there might have been. I don't, I don't know exactly, like, what it was, but, I mean, obviously, we didn't get vocals from the book, but um, yeah. I feel like there was something. Well, the audiobook. Like, yeah, that is true. <laughs> I should listen to those. Um, yeah, so that was just kind of weird, and the second time I saw it, though, the audience didn't say anything, so I'm like, oh, maybe it's my school thing, because I was in a theater full of students from my school, um, so, yeah, I really thought that, that was weird, but. I don't know. Maybe it's not too weird. Um, a scene that I don't think was in the book that was an awesome add-in was the District 7 attack. I believe it's District 7, the um, the Lumber District. What do you think of this one? Oh, yeah. I don't think that was in the, in the novel either because of not being able to show us all of that information. But I thought that was really great to show how the rebellion and the fire was catching of all these things and how they were um, running from the police officers or the, um, what, is it, what are they called? Peacekeepers. Peacekeepers. Da, da, da. Um, 
they were running for the peacekeepers and they ran up the trees and they just dropped all those bombs and stuff. That was like so awesome to show how like, they're like, you can't. And then they did scream. We burn, you burn with us. Right. Yeah. Which is at first I was like, Oh, why didn't they show this after they showed the propo? And then I realized I was like, Oh, that's the whole point of this, that they saw the propo did this. And then by saying that line, we know they saw the propo. So that was just kind of my own stupidity. But, yeah, it it was really cool. That's how they showed that they aired it. We didn't have to see it again. Um, that was a really creative way of doing it. Um, and then the next kind of major scene was when Gail and Katniss and the camera crew go back to District 12, which it kind of surprised me that they went back to District 12. I know that this happened in the book, but it kind of just seemed repetitive in the film. Yeah, I mean, I can understand, like, them wanting to get footage of her in District 12. So I kind of just, like, let it go. I was just like, okay, they're going back to get footage. But her, like, taking more and more stuff, again, I felt was repetitive. But I understand, like, that's what would happen. Like, I would take more stuff because now I have more room in my bag or whatever to bring it back to, the, you know, yeah. the team. Yeah, I feel like the scene could have been cut out and then they could have just showed the propo later. Been like, yes, oh, we're going to go to District good. 12. Showed the propo, moved on, because yeah, but I felt like they did. From it. They did relay some information about like how um, nine hundred fifteen survived out of the ten thousand people, um, and I thought yeah. that some stellar acting was came from Jen as she saw more of these like bodies and these skeletons and stuff, um, and they kind of played up the. Gail and Katniss romance when they were like, you kissed me here. I didn't know you remembered. Oh my gosh. We're not, we can't do this right now. I'm like trying to be a leader. And blah, blah, blah. So Yeah, it was like Gail's basically like, you only feel bad for me and give me attention when I'm hurt. But you know, don't worry, it'll pass. Like being annoyed at her. And it's kind of like, I don't know, like I want to feel bad for him, but I just don't because he's just obnoxious and just needs to leave. But I'm I'm just not a big Gale fan, or to be honest, Liam Hemsworth. So, kind of the combination of the two. Um, I think the important part of this, because I think they were still around District 12 when they did this, um, when the AVOX, um, Pollux, I think his name was. um, Yeah, that was awesome that they mentioned that. Yeah, and he was, like, you know, signing to her, like, sing, because he's an AVOC, so he can't speak. They capital cut out his tongue. Um, but, yeah, like, having her singing the Hanging Tree song, um, that was really awesome. And then from there, they show the propo, and then they show people in the district singing it. Is that how it worked? Yeah, yeah that's how it was, because it all worked. It was it was used as, like, a nice montage music, because it starts with her singing to the AVOX, like, by, those, by the river and the rocks. Um, and then it all just kind of like blended together where you see them all singing and then them try them breaking the dam, um, by bombing the bridges or whatever to cause all the water and energy supply to just like go away. So mm-hmm. that was really cool how they used that song to kind of have a good, a good segue in order to show the rebellion. Definitely. And I think having um i believe they were singing it i think it was district three i want to say um might have been five but i feel like it's three what that they attacked the dam and all the peacekeepers have their crazy loaded guns like 
I, I'm not good with guns, but some, you know, very, very uh, advanced guns. And the rebels have nothing. Like, they're holding these boxes for the bombs, but they don't have any weapons for combat. And they they're just have running. their bodies. And it, it was just so, so sad. And it, it really shows how they're complete underdogs and that all they have is their numbers because they don't have weapons. I mean, 13 has weapons. But the other districts, they have nothing. And they're just kind of going with what the little that they do have. But this was definitely um, a scene that was really advancing the plot. So you kind of felt like you were making progress. Yeah. Um, during the bomb attack of 13, quite a few things happened. But I think the most important was the scene between Katniss and Finnick. Um, and I love that this quote made the book. Do you remember the, do you yeah. remember the quote? Yeah. Takes ten times longer to put yourself together as it does to fall apart. And I don't know why I love this quote so much. Probably just because I've seen it online everywhere and everyone else loves it. But I'm so glad it made the movie because Finnick, I think, is finally seeing him as a deep character here. Whereas in Catching Fire, he was kind of just the sex symbol of the capital. But now I think we're getting down to like who he really is as a person and... It, it's exciting to finally be able to see this. Yeah, it's nice to see his depth. Yeah, definitely. And um, how he, at times, can pull himself together more than Katniss. Yeah. Um, I think he's also older, though, and more mature than Katniss. Um, yeah, I think he's 24. He's obviously not gone through all the trauma that Katniss has gone through, but he's definitely gone through some trauma um, going through the games and then Annie and being basically a prostitute for the capital. Definitely. So let's talk about his broadcast. Um, Katniss isn't able to pull herself together because she's afraid that Snow is going to kill Peta. And so they kind of just throw Finnick in front of the camera. And his charisma and everything, they're like, just keep talking. Um, And just hearing his broadcast, I think, was just so... I don't even know how to have words for it. It's like just to hear what he went through after the games of once you're out of the arena, you're not out of the games and hearing. Yeah. You'll always be in the games. Yeah, exactly. You're always going to be a piece in their games to quote PETA, but talking about how snow sold his body and the whole thing of, um, snow covering the poison in his mouth. It doesn't, the antidote didn't quite work with all of the roses and really just telling all of Pan Am what Snow is and who he is and what he does and how. And it's really great that Finnick is telling the the audience of Pan Am because the audience of people who haven't read the books who don't know this information already are able to get this information without having to be spoon fed it. Yeah. Um, so I really like that. But the thing that I didn't like about, cause I love this broadcast, but it's just kind of conflicting because I was on the edge of my seat with Gail and them going in to save PETA. I almost, I mean, I love this speech and I don't remember how it was exactly in the, in the novel, but I was really, I was almost more invested in PETA being saved than hearing Phoenix broadcast. And I wrote a post on Reddit about it. Um, in the Hunger Games Reddit section where like people were agreeing with me where I was just kind of like, I love Finnick, but I was more invested and more concerned about how Peta and Gail were 
doing inside the Capitol than Finnick's speech. Definitely. I think in the first time I watched it, I wasn't really listening to Finnick's broadcast. I was looking at that lab that they were in um, and trying to figure out what that was. Is that where they tortured pizza? Pizza. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Pizza. (laughs) Wrong food. (laughs) Um, Yeah, definitely. I I think that's Um, where they tortured him. I believe so. And it was really disturbing seeing all of those, like, instruments and stuff and all those, like, weird kind of, like, scientific, like, claws and tongs. Yeah, there's a lot of syringes, I'm sure, of, like, that tracker jacker venom. Um, it was disturbing though. And I don't know if, um, this happened in your movie theater, but they had signs up, um, for my movie theater at home that, uh, that scene, they didn't say which one, but I knew what they were referring to, um, that there's a scene in Mockingjay that causes seizures. And I think it was this scene, which just kind of boggled me because why would they produce something that would, you know, could give someone a seizure, like, you know, trigger that. I feel like they should cut back the lights a little bit. I don't know. So I, in theater, sometimes they'll do that where they'll have like um, a sign because sometimes they'll have a strobe light in order to have a certain effect or something. And they'll have a sign outside the theater being like, if you have epileptic things triggered by lights, flashing please no do not come to the show and i think it's for the sake of the art or the overall feeling of the show or film because i can't exactly remember what you're referring to but i'm i think it's when the lights kept going on and off in the lab oh okay and i don't know i feel like i don't know if that was completely necessary but um Maybe Francis Lawrence thought it was, he needed that. Um, so, and if he really feels that he needs that as a director in order to create this vision and this art, um, then I guess they're willing to take that sacrifice. Yeah, it just seemed kind of uh, isolating a group of people. So I kind of, I felt bad. Like, I don't know. Imagine yeah, like a huge stink. fan and then you can't even see it in the theater. So that kind of stinks. But uh, the, while they're being rescued, Finnick, I don't know exactly what happened. I think his broadcast was, like, ending or, like, Snow was uh, kind of Skyping in or something of the sort. <laughs> and um, Katniss is he trying to talk to him or something like that. What? He was in their Google Hangout. Right, right. Yeah, they had to uh, do that Google Hangout. <laughs> they're like, ah, oh, oh, we're not connected. It's not quite working. It took a while. But eventually Katniss and uh, Snow is, were able to talk. And just kind of their back and forth was kind of interesting. And, and the line that he says that um, is probably his best line in the movie, uh, movie. It is the things that we love the most that destroy us. And he's such a cynical person. And it really oh, I just want to punch him. Yeah. It, it was just like this quote is just so morbid and it's like oh why bother loving because it's just going to kill you in the end like he's just so smug about it that it's just like yeah. really annoying yeah and then of course at the end of their little conversation he reveals that he knows about the covert rescue mission and then Katniss just freaks out 
and she's just oh, yeah. screaming. And BD's trying to contact, um, I think it was Boggs, and she kept repeating, which is just, I feel like, so accurate. Of, like, this is actually what Katniss would say in the mov- m- uh, the movement. <laughs> the moment, sorry, it's been a long week. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll just keep trucking through. First pizza, then movement. First pizza. Maybe I'm just hungry, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, saying, I definitely agree with you. On the fact that, like, she's like, then I lose them both. And that's, like, the whole yeah. thing. She doesn't know who she wants or who she can have or whatever. Or who she's allowed to have or not. She's just kind of like, she needs them both. Which is kind of selfish. But um, it's how it is. And I think that was really a beautiful, beautifully haunting, tragic moment where she's like, oh my god, like, everything can be ruined now. Yeah, and it seemed like she was really, really upset about this, even more so maybe when Prim wasn't back in the bunker. And, like, she was upset then, but I feel like she was more upset in this moment, which just kind of seems screwed up because the whole reason she's doing all this is to protect her to protect her little sister. Yeah, that is the whole point of the series. So it just seems kind of, I don't know, like... I feel like she should have been more upset when saving the bunker, when when getting Prim back to the bunker. I don't know. I felt like she. Uh, it depends because like that moment she she has Prim and that's the whole. So I think she's like she feels like I don't know. Oh, gosh, I don't know what I'm saying. Like I feel like she is in love with either of these these boys and so like literally she loses them both like her world won't end because she has prim but like that's what she needs like she needs them as much as she needs prim and i didn't like that whole scene when she didn't when she lost prim or whatever and she couldn't find her i thought that was very hollywood and i felt like it wasn't executed very well i was definitely on the edge of my seat but i felt like it was very cliche like oh god where is she no where is she uh, and then ten, nine, and eight. even in the book, it just seemed kind of. It's like really, she's going to go back for her cat. It, it just seemed <laughs> unrealistic. And in the, I mean, I don't own pets, so I probably shouldn't say anything. And yeah, I said something to my friend who was a cat lover, and she's like, "Of course I would go back." And I'm like, "Oh my god," but it just <laughs> didn't course. seem realistic to me. Because I love cats too, but I don't have pets, so I'm, I'm just like, okay, like just save yourself. But... Yeah. Like, the whole world does not revolve around Buttercup. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. And she's, like, yelling at her. She's like, that was so stupid. And it just, as you said, it was, like, kind of Hollywood. It was like, no. Yeah, I wasn't a fan yeah, of that. Yeah, I didn't feel that. But I definitely felt like this when she was like, then I lose them both. That definitely, like, struck a chord for me where I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, she does. It was raw. It was real. I d- yeah, I, it was I felt I felt her in that moment. Um, and the scene that follows this, um, her interaction with Coin, is probably the closest we see them in this movie. Uh, hopefully we can see this relationship kind of continue to get closer in part two. But when Coin is saying, you know, it's the worst torture in the world to wait when you know there's nothing you can do because she's waiting for Peta and Gail to come back home, you know, her new home in 13... And then she's talking about how people like us, meaning her and Katniss, like, um, find this inner strength and courage to really get through these hard times. And it was kind of like that backwards compliment of, like, 
you know, we, we are similar and like, we're going to get through this. And like, I got through this, like coin lost her husband and daughter, um, in an epidemic years before. But, um, I think, I think this was an important scene and it's toward, it's towards the end of the movie, but I think it kind of gives it that like next film is coming kind of feel. Yeah. And, um, Nick's reaction to seeing Annie when she was brought back was so beautiful. Like I was like, Oh my God. Um, because he was just so relieved and so overjoyed. And it just was beautiful to see his love for her. And she just kind of like rips out the IV in her arm or whatever. And she's like, Finnick! and she like, wants him. yeah, that was definitely an awesome scene. Like there's not a lot of satisfying scenes in this movie in terms of like emotional, like, wow, people are finally reunited. And this definitely made up for Pete and Katniss not having a happy uh, reunion. Oh, yeah. Um, because, I mean, that was just... I was looking at people in the theater that I kind of knew hadn't read the book. And just to see their reaction, they were just, like, so surprised. You know, because at first, Pete's head snaps up when he hears his name from Katniss. And then you see how horrible he looks and all that. And then she goes to touch him, and he just attacks her. Oh, my God. It was so awesome. It, it was... Um, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, well, I was just going to say that um, it was really cool to see how gaunt he looked um, and how the progression of each, like, um, PSA that, like, the capital made him send out, he would get increasingly, um, increasingly, I mean, worse and worse. Um, so it was really cool to, and then actually see him and then see him like attack Cadmus and his like gaunt, like distraught look was really cool. And it was weird that they made eye contact for a while and then he attacked. I feel like the Mm. way that they hijacked him and trained him, he would have done it like right away. It seems yeah, I feel like, like in the book, just he just sees her and attacks her. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I was watching an interview with um, Jen, Josh, and Liam, and they were like, oh, Josh, did you do anything to prepare for this role physically? Um, and he's like, no, no, I know what you're getting at. Like, I didn't lose any weight. It was all CGI. They put little dots on my face and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. But they really did a good job. I was I was scared that Josh lost weight for the role and then, you know found out he was fine but um they did an awesome job with that definitely that's cool Uh, i really wish that they ended the film here yeah when like he's just choking her and then it goes dark that's what i was expecting i was expecting that too and then so because like the scene did work that way like he was choking her and then it goes dark and then you hear a lot of people in the audience go what like what? And I just wanted to be like, <laughs> like, read the books. Like, I know what happened. Exactly. Um, but I feel like for those people who didn't read the books, they have to cater to those people as well. So they can't just end it there because that would be psycho. But it'd be awesome. Oh, they should have. Because it would have been good to open, like, the next film, part two, with her just in bed with her eyes all bloodshot, which is medically accurate, I asked um, my pre-med friend. But... She- to have them explain like all oh, the hijacking thing and then by saying that you're kind of reviewing what happened in the last film so i don't know why they didn't just split it there 
It, it would have made yeah, it, like, I don't know. so it suspenseful. Been confusing, I feel. Yeah, I guess so. And then people would have Googled it. But I don't know. It, it would have been good. I think the way it kind of ended was a little cheesy with Coin just saying f- they freed the victors today, Penem tomorrow. It it kind of sounded like a coin speech, or not a coin speech, uh, a snow speech. You know, like this something, Penem yeah. tomorrow, Penem forever. But what um, was cool, though, about that, about the ending, though, was how um, not, during coin speech, um, Plutarch was like mouthing the words, which was yeah. like, I read on, I read on Reddit that it was kind of like a parallel to Effie mouthing the words of the Capitals, like video that she shows in the very like, first film. Oh, I didn't connect that. That's an awesome connection. Yeah, yeah when, when Effie's doing that. the um, the reaping, and she's like mouthing the words that go with the little video. Yeah, that's a cool little parallel. Yeah, it was cool. I didn't connect that when I saw the film, but after I read that stuff online, I was like, yes. Yeah, definitely. So, what would you give this movie grade wise, A through F? Um, I would give it like an A minus. Like, I thought it was really. I thought it was really good, and I thought oh, I'd probably give it an A, actually, because I feel like yeah. they included some stuff and they helped um, put more information that they like weren't able to put into the other films to explain more about the world that they were able to put into this one. I was definitely scared going into this. I had low expectations. Um, yeah, I did too. Because I, I read online it it really wasn't too good, saying it was the worst one of all of them so far. So I was very skeptical, but then I'm sitting there watching it, and I think because I had low expectations, it just kind of blew my mind just how accurate it felt to being kind of in this war, but um, post-traumatic like experiences and just, you know, the despair, and it, it was just really good. It was also the beginning of my vacation, so I do have to say that probably played a big role. But I think I think it really was awesome. I think I'll go with an A minus on it. Yeah, um, I don't believe that it was the best of all three. I think yeah, it's really good, um, but I don't know. I just it was definitely not my favorite. I think it was maybe because of the content matter, um, because there weren't a games and there weren't there wasn't an arena and you know. So I and then also that book is my least favorite of the three because I cried throughout the entire thing. So right. Um, but I do think that the way that they should have ended it this film was like since they didn't end it with PETA choking Katniss I think it was so cool when Katniss is like hearing PETA like like, rummage around in that room or whatever he's thrashing around and she looks through the window and you just see him just like rashing and like this he's so messed up but I think it would have been really cool if at the last moment, he's thrashing, and then he lock eyes with her. Yeah. And then it just goes dark. I think that would have been so been powerful. Awesome. I, and, like, I thought or, that's what was like, going to happen. Or, like, like, screaming at her. Yeah, and I thought at first when I saw it, I was like, oh, he's thrashing because he sees her. And he's freaking out because he wants to kill her. But then when I rewatched it a second time, I realized he's just doing that. Yeah, he just he doesn't see her. I she I wish he would because it'd be so powerful. Yeah, it just shows how their relationship changed so much because of what the capital did to him and and how now the capital really took him as a weapon of theirs. So definitely definitely a good film. 
uh, yeah, much better than I thought it was going to be. So I think now we can get into the soundtrack. Does that sound good? Sounds great. All right. So the soundtrack, I gave it uh, one listen to so far. I'm definitely going to listen to it more, though. Um, I can't really quite say if I like it better than the other soundtracks. Um, I do have to say I love Lord's contribution to it. Um, and really, like, I mean, she curated the whole thing um, and pulled people together. Um, so she's definitely the big name on here. But there's a couple yeah. other big names. Like Ariana uh, Grande and Kanye West. Right. The weird thing about Kanye West, though, is that he doesn't have any vocals in it. He just <laughs> takes Lord's song, Yellow Flicker Beat, which is kind of like, I feel like, the title soundtrack or uh, song on this. Yeah. Um, and he just remixes it. And it didn't sound that different to me. So it kind of was just pointless. But I think, as we were talking earlier, Lord has such, like, a a tone of, like, grieving or, like, grief and turmoil in her voice that, like, I think she's a great artist for this album and this uh, soundtrack for such a film. I think she's perfect. I can't think of yeah, someone she's great. that would do this better, and she's so passionate about the Hunger Games. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Her, her songs are definitely, I think, the best on this track. Yeah, and even, like, she'll have little contributions. Like, one of the songs, uh, I don't know if it was Animal or This Is Not A Game, but I think one of them, she just has, like, one line that she says in it, like, a couple points in the song. And, like, I don't think she even gets credit for the song at all, but, like, she's just kind of, like, there. Throughout the album, you just kind of hear her, like, here and there, and she's back up there, and... It's really cool that she's kind of consistent throughout the album. Yeah, that's awesome. What did you think of, like, the beat of the songs and how it matches it, the movie? It was, like, fairly upbeat for such a heavy, dark movie. I mean, it's, like, pretty intense. Um, but a lot of the songs were pretty catchy. Um, appreciated instead of it being... Because, like, I feel like the first soundtrack was very sad and, like very like slow which is great and i like that but i really appreciated how it was like catchy and upbeat for this film i don't know it's a nice change yeah it kind of seemed backwards that like i feel like mockingjay should have a soundtrack that is a little bit more dark in terms of the beat like i feel like the lyrics are very dark but yeah. the melodies aren't that dark and then in hunger games it like, I think, as you said, it's a little darker. So it's almost like it should be reversed. Like, the soundtracks kind of, if they were switched, it would fit pretty well. Yeah. I think one awesome thing of having Lord curate it is the reoccurring uh, Hunger Games imagery of, like, the fire, empty space, and the, like, aggression in it. Um, of like, you know, song Animal and stuff, just talking about, um, you'll be the prey, I'll be the predator. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. And it kind of makes it, to have all of these various artists, you have to have something that kind of brings all the songs together. And I think this album does it a little more so than the other albums, maybe. And one thing I just realized is that when we were talking about the, um, Hanging Tree, 
We didn't end up playing it. So you oh my gosh, it's now? so good. So that was just a little clip to listen to. And just to hear Jennifer's raw vocals is pretty cool. I think we've talked about it before. But um, really cool just that she sang it. She asked if Lord could just sing over her. But they said no. So they kept her vocals in it. Yeah, I'm really happy because if Lord had sung for her, I'd have been like, that's Lord. That's not, that's not Katniss. Um, yeah, but it was really beautiful how raw it was. And just, yeah, and then when awesome. all the other groups of people come in, like the harmonies and stuff, and they're all, you know, rebelling and stuff, it's so beautiful and very powerful. It really is. Uh, and we have to give credit to the Lumineers, who I think wrote Gale's song on the Catching Fire soundtrack. Um, they helped write, if not wrote the whole thing themselves, uh, the melody, and kind of took Susan Collins' lyrics and applied it to. Uh, the music and everything. So that was really cool. Um, do you have any favorites off this album? Um, I would definitely say that the... Let me find the name of it. The Yellow Flicker Beat, I think, definitely is my favorite. By Lord, I think it's definitely my favorite. Um, I don't know. I just heard it the most. Um, yeah. Because I've only gone through this... Uh, album once so I've heard it also on commercials and on the radio so I definitely favor it more than the others but I really like it I think just all the lyrics like I started pulling out lyrics that really applied but the entire song applies so much to Mockingjay and just kind of where Katniss is mentally and her position in the revolution that it, it really is showing what she's going through but not over the top where it's like talking about like Katniss flat out it's still like removed and like you can appreciate it as a song on its own but it's yeah. just so cool like like the lyric that says and my necklace is of rope and I tie it and I untie it like that kind of goes right to the hanging tree but it's not mm -hmm. like completely like it doesn't say hanging tree in it so it's got more of that uh kind of ambiguous lines and everything uh, I I like the song um, I've mentioned it before, Animal, and this is not a game. Um, it's got more of a I don't even know. I almost want to say like hip hop. I don't know if that's right. Um, and, and this is not a game. It says one lyric that says "Chop under pressure," thinking, "Damn it, all eyes are on me like a conductor," which is just kind of captures Katniss at, in this moment of being the leader that she does not want to be but this is where she is and uh even though it's an upbeat song these lyrics really are dark and applied to Mockingjay yeah and it's as you said I'm glad they don't just like outright say like cat is dealing with the games it's like you can appreciate it as a song but how it applies to the film and the story and the plot is so unmistakably evident that it's just kind of like you appreciate both sides of it yeah, I think this album does a great job in doing that. 
because in other albums, um, there was the one kind of bluegrassy song uh, on the Hunger Games soundtrack that would say, like, Katniss and her bow and arrow. And I feel like that, I still like the song, but I feel like it's a little too, like, blunt. Um, and then uh, Patti Smith's song in the Catching Fire soundtrack was similar to that. I mean, I have mad props for Patti Smith. But, yeah, her song was a little more like that, and I feel like I appreciate songs that are um, a little more vague. Yeah, I appreciate that more. Instead of them being made for The Hunger Games, they could have been made as songs themselves, but I'm glad they're all compiled together and they apply to The Hunger Games. I think the melody, the melody that matches Mockingjay the best is Kingdom, and this is probably, like the second most original song on the track that's very kind of unique and it says this one line in it my bones they used to glow but now i'm throwing stones i'm losing where to go and i think this really applies to the beginning of the movie where katniss is just kind of distraught and doesn't really know what to do with herself and um and even says to every rose with bloody thorn it lifts you up and lets you fall which i think is totally like a snow reference because it's saying, like, ah, oh, he's gonna, like, kind of let her go on this victory tour and have all of this attention on her, uh, but then he's gonna let her crumble in the end. Um, so that that's an awesome song. I definitely suggest the ones that we've mentioned so far are probably the best on the, the album. Yeah, they're awesome. Did you listen to Original Beast? Uh, I Maybe if you play it, I'd probably be reminded of it, it's, but I can't. It's a really it. weird song. At first, I was like, what is this? Um, and then I, I read a little about it, and apparently the um, artist is, like, pretty famous. Um, at least for, like, the genre they're in. And I think this might have been the, the artist that, like, came out of retirement to, like, do this song. Uh, so I don't know how Lord convinced them of that. But it's mm. it's definitely weird. So that's... Uh, I don't know what you guys think of that. Definitely email in about that. But it is available on Spotify and Groove Shark if you uh, listen there. I don't know how legal Groove Shark is, but uh, you can just stream it on there. Um, so, yeah, and obviously on iTunes that you can get it on there. We'll uh, mention a way you can actually pay for it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a good album. And um, it's... I don't know how it compares to the others. I have to give it more listens. Probably tweet about it as I listen to it this week. But, um, good stuff. Any last thoughts? Um, no. I just really enjoyed the film, and I'm excited to see it again in a couple days. It's definitely great to see again, and I feel like you pick up on so much more details, and even, like, the score. I think I paid attention to more the second time. All right, well, that about does it for the show today. Uh, one little shameless plug that I have to make. Uh, if you're interested in any social media guidance or anything, uh, I'm still a social media curator. Uh, I actually got another job as a social media curator or online manager at my radio station uh, at school, so that's pretty cool. Um, you can even listen to me live Mondays at 1 p.m. Uh, on whus.org. 
because you're probably not in the radius to listen on the radio. Um, but yeah, those are my shameless plugs. So you can email in, um, at nightluckpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email in about, you know, Hunger Games related stuff if you want to. So, uh, even topics, previous episodes, love receiving anything. So definitely email in and a couple of social media plugs, Facebook slash Nightlock Podcast on Twitter at Nightlock Pod, P-O-D. I'm on Twitter at Kierdineen, K-I-R-A-D-I-N-E-E-N. And Chris is at ChrisCast95, so you can check him out there. Um, iTunes, definitely subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Um, we still have a website, NightlockPodcast.com. Uh, but really, the iTunes reviews is the best best thing you can do for us. Um, and if you want email alerts when we release episodes or any announcements, you can go to the sidebar of our website, nightlockpodcast.com. That's on the right side because we're not really uh, releasing episodes regularly anymore, if you haven't realized. Um, but, you know, once in a while, we like to pump one out. All right. Anything else to add to the plugs? I kind of rushed through that. No, you uh, got them good. I just leave a review on iTunes. I was reading um, some reviews actually last night saying that someone wanted um, you guys to do a, a chapter by chapter for Mockingjay. Mockingjay. I think we started that actually because I have a book right next to me and I have stickies for the first chapter. So I guess we started that. But uh, no promises, but we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, because I'd be down to do that. Really? Hmm, interesting. We'll definitely have to chat about that then. <laughs> so good. I like leaving the show with a couple of recommendations. Since we're not pumping out as much episodes, we'd like to give you something to do in the meantime. So, uh, Chris, do you have any suggestions on reading material? Um, well, I have been incredibly busy with school, and I've been reading a lot of plays, but one of the good novels that I finished um, right before I went to school a couple months ago was the silkworm by Robert Galbraith, which is um, JK Rowling's pseudonym. And it's uh, the next book in the Camorran strike series. If you've read um, the cuckoo's calling, you definitely enjoy this book. I think the silkworm is even better than the cuckoo's calling. Um, and it was a good murder mystery novel um, that definitely takes you for some turns. And uh, it's a really good book. Is this in the series? Is, uh, is it what? Sorry, is it the second in the series? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the second uh, book that was released. Cool, awesome. Is it a long book or relatively short? Um, I would say probably a, it's a good size book. Okay. Not something I can read in a couple days then, probably. No, I mean, I've been dreading and it took me maybe about a week. I was also gotcha. busy, but probably something for me to read over winter break or summer. Then, yeah. First, I'll yes. have to read Cuckoo's Calling, but uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to get on that. Uh, over the summer, I started reading John Green books, and had to join the fan club. You know, everyone is talking about it, even Taylor Swift. Um, so I started Paper Towns. Wasn't able to finish it, but I'm definitely uh, intrigued. I think I got like a third of the way through. Um, so I definitely suggest at least reading the first third. Uh, <laughs> they are filming it right now. Uh, John Green is kind of crazy on social media. And um, my favorite Nat Wolf is playing the main character, Quentin, I think his name is. Um, so I'm definitely going to finish this before the movie comes out. Um, 
Yeah, it's really cool to see. I don't friends, even know what the... Sorry, what? One of my friends was starting to read that book, and she said it was kind of boring. Was the first third boring? I think it's, it's different from, like, sci-fi. It's not as exciting. Um, it's definitely, like, about the characters. I read Will Grayson, Will Grayson, and I thought it was pretty good. Like, it's... You gotta have patience for just... It's all about the character development. Um, and just little things that happen which affect their development. It's not like you're waiting for big events. There's no mystery. Um, but I think he's... He kind of captures the voice of our generation, um, as an author. And he's definitely very talented in, uh, in what he does. So I, uh... If you like YA novels like this, I suggest it. If you're not into the character development kind of thing, skip this one. Gotcha. I read Looking for Alaska. That was a good book, too. I like The Fault in Our Stars the best out of all of his novels, though. I need to read that. I saw the movie, but I haven't oh, read the book it's yet. So cool. it, the movie was great. I mean, I'm a huge yeah. Alien Woodley fan. It was so, a good uh, adaption. That's what I've heard. It was I've really heard it's, great. it really is faithful and captures it. it it does i was really happy with it i was nervous yeah whenever i go and see a movie that i'm passionate about the book i'm like oh man how is this gonna go yeah but uh yeah that that was definitely a good one it was well, that about does it for today's episode it's been a long one but it's been a good one yes we had a lot to talk about we did we couldn't we couldn't cut it short it's mocking jay it's an, uh, it's half of a book turned into a movie. Yeah, Can you imagine if they pushed this all in one movie? Oh, we'd be here for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.